it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to episode 43 of the Prospects Baseball Show. My name is Dean Millard and with me uh, by phone, um, hopefully not for too much longer and we'll get back to normal in studio is the head coach of the Edmonton Prospects and the assistant GM Jordan Blundell. Jordan buddy, how are you? I'm doing good. Do you know how you doing, man? I am excellent. I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm going camping later this week, so I got a right. lot of work to do in the next few days, but I'm going to be out in nature and hopefully not getting rained on. Uh, and even if I do get rained on, we have tents. So I'm ex- I'm excited. I'm excited that the temperature and the the days are getting nicer. Yeah, that'll be a fun trip, man. Uh, I'm a, a little bit jealous. That's going to be great. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll send you some pictures, and then um, yeah. <laughs> you can send me pictures when you go on your camp trip. So it's like our, we'll be yeah. uh, camping pen pals. Perfect. <laughs> We're going to chat with uh, Matt Payne, uh, an umpire today, as we reveal the starting lineup for the Prospects Baseball Show. Uh, we're going to chat with Matt about his experiences, uh, just one of maybe the worst trip ever to Mexico that a person could possibly take. Uh, he went on uh, as a as an umpire, and uh, some fun stuff about uh, who he likes to watch, and you know, just kind. Of, I just wanted to pick the brain of an umpire because I always wanted to know. You know, what is going through the mind of an umpire in, say, a perfect game or some close situation where you know one decision is going to have a major impact on one of those teams, good and bad, right? Oh, exactly. I mean, you have to be, you're definitely aware of what's going on. And, and I guess that's uh, the art of being a good umpire is not getting caught up in the situation right. and, and sticking true to the game. Uh, with all the distractions that might be happening, the large crowd, the teams getting on you, all those, uh, all those different variables that could get thrown at you at any point. So we're going to talk with Matt about all that. Uh, Jordan and I will discuss the uh, Major League uh, Baseball future as far as a season and the draft and some signings that uh, just took place. Uh, the Sosa McGuire thirty for thirty ran. Last night, I'll give my thoughts on that. Our top five today is power hitters of the 90s. And uh, just your hint for baseball Thunderdome, Jordan, is long ball. Okay. Just think that. Uh, If you want to get a hold of us, you can do so at EDM Prospects or theprospectsbaseballclub.com. That's where you can find all the team information. You can reach us at Prospects Pod and www.prospectsbaseballshow.ca. All right, let's get her going with a little Around the Horn. Hey, bada, 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 swing, bada. God, I'm looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. So the continuing fight uh, between players and owners uh, when it comes to Major League Baseball, um, and I, I don't know how many guys you follow on uh, Twitter, Jordan, but uh, some of these guys are just shredding the owners with their stuff, including Justin Turner, who actually worked on Wall Street. Like he actually ha- has gone through uh, school. He is qualified to work on Wall Street. and He had a really good thread outlining how much money the owners are making. And he used one guy, the Cards Bill DeWitt, 
who bought the team for $150 million. Do you know how much the St. Louis Cardinals are worth now, according to Forbes? $2.3 billion? Yeah, $2.2 billion. So right there. Okay. And he gave the example that if a Wall Street broker promised you 12% over 24 years, they would be likely arrested, Bernie Madoff style. And that's the return on the investment that Bill DeWitt has, has get, been getting. And he is out there talking about baseball is not profitable. Are you kidding me? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the, the fact that these, these, some of these franchises are worth over a billion dollars and, and, and then you're looking at $2 billion. Uh, it, it, it's tough to understand that, that the owners shouldn't take more of the risk here. If there's any risk at all, I mean, I guess that there is, but, um, I, I, I would think that there's an opportunity to break even. Perhaps there isn't. Maybe that ship has sailed. But um, there's an opportunity to mitigate loss at least. So, you know, if your if your organization has a, a value over a billion dollars, um, it's tough to hear that argument that, that you know, poor me. What what do you think? Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. Am I hot? Yeah, I'm hot. That's a crock of crap. Exactly. Even Gretter <laughs> thinks it's a crock of crap. So, but but I love like see the owners and and the players have been pointing this out. They want as little regular season games as possible because that's when you're paying the players the most in the playoffs. They get revenue sharing of like the first four games and the first three games of the division series and the World Series. So that's why the owners want little to no regular season games and more playoff games. And it's just, you know what, like I, 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 I think both sides have to share some of the blame, but the more the blame, the majority of my anger goes towards the owners. I mean, these are the guys that I just outlined the amount of money and it's, it's ridiculous. Over the line! Had it. Yeah, I, I I don't know what we I don't know what they need to do as far as conversation wise to bridge that gap. It's the last uh, the last uh, volley by the owners was to go to a prorated salary over seventy two games, which equaled the same amount number wise as the the, the forty eight game original proposal. That now the okay will give you the games at eighty percent of the prorated, which ends up being the same amount. <laughs> Which seems just like a little bit comical, a little bit disingenuous, a little bit insulting. Uh, maybe more so insulting that you're just calling a, a spade a different thing. It's a spade's a spade here. What, what are we talking about? Like the players and, and their union wouldn't wouldn't see it as such. You know, it, it's confusing that they would be so uh, blatantly, I guess, disrespectful to the intelligence of the, the players' union. What the hell is going on here? I don't know. I really do not know. Who'd you talking about? Yeah, even even Arnold doesn't know what is going on from uh, Different Strokes. I hope that show isn't too uh, old for you to remember Different Strokes, dude. Yeah, it's, it's at the very end of memory right there. <laughs> you, you, you went all the way back. That's like the last one I got right That's there. Right, the very last memory is uh, yeah. Arnold asking what you're talking about. All right. I uh, want to quickly ask you about the Major League Baseball draft that uh, has uh, taken place. I, I don't understand, um, you know, two things I don't understand about baseball, the draft system and the trades, because um, I'm starting to understand the 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 the, the 
what's it the the waiver trade deadline but the draft uh, there's so much like there's guys that get drafted four times so tell me a little bit about what you pay attention to when it comes to the major league baseball draft and is, is it basically you know the guys with the maple leaf on their uh on their birth uh birth certificate yeah that's definitely one thing that's uh interesting and exciting being a canadian to see you know fellow canadians you know realize a goal and, and a dream and uh, for sure, you keep your eyes open and, and you cheer those guys on. Uh, real quick, the the, the draft and, and some of it is confusing for sure. So if you're a high school player, you can be drafted. If you then go to a junior college, you can be drafted in year one and year two. So you could conceivably have three years in a row that you'd be drafted. Um, if you go from high school to a four-year institution, so for example, a uh, a Division One program or NAI program or Division Two, um, one of two things can happen: either you turn, either you are done your junior year, your third year, you become draft eligible, or you hit the age of twenty-one before the end of your junior year. So the year before, you're a little bit older. That also allows you to be drafted. So when you see some guys, they were a thirty-fourth round pick in in 2017 and they're being drafted again uh this past week it, it was drafted out of high school the opportunity to sign with a major league baseball organization and they decided they elected not to and they went to school and their draft year came up again and they were selected again so that's why it's a it's a little bit confusing for sure um that kind of explains where we're at as far as when you're draft eligible, when you become draft eligible again. So that's why junior college is a good option for a lot of players is if it retains their draft status versus if you go to a four-year school, junior colleges are two-year schools. Hmm. If you go to a four-year school, you then have to wait. So Interesting. Hopefully that clears it up a little bit. And then as far as the Canadians are concerned, Dean, all there was, there were five Canadians drafted in the five rounds. Typically, the draft is 40 to 50 rounds, uh, but they're looking at uh, limiting the draft moving forward. And, and this year, considering all that is the pandemic, they, they bumped up that time. So they went five rounds. Uh, Canadian, the first Canadian taken was Owen Casey out of Ontario, 45th overall to the Padres. Uh, then Jose Cruz Jr.'s son, Trey Cruz, Uh, who has a Canadian connection, went 73rd overall. Another kid from Ontario, David Calabrese, went 82nd overall. Then Jordan Nawagu, also Ontario, he went 88th. And then I've got to tie into this last one, uh, Logan Hoffman from Munster, Saskatchewan. Uh, A Team Saskatchewan product. Uh, My... Midget team, my 18U team in Nanaimo went to nationals back in 2016, and we faced the Saskatchewan representative from Munster. Uh, so Team BC played Team Saskatchewan in the quarterfinal, and Logan Hoffman was the pitcher throwing against us, um, and we lost. He was pretty good. <laughs> we so didn't move on. Yeah, and it was funny because I, I checked uh, – a close friend of mine that was involved with that team and said, well, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, we lost to a future fifth rounder uh, that day in Quebec. So uh, not not too bad at the, at the end of the day. So Logan Hoffman went team staff. 
had a little junior national time, was in the Cape Cod League, uh, went to a junior college in Kansas out of high school, and then went to a Division One from that junior college and then was drafted. So pretty cool. And then on a side note, uh, so what happens now after the draft, uh, there used to be 40 rounds, so a lot of players drafted. Now there isn't as many. We get into an undrafted free agent signing period. Uh, so there's a lot of players that were draftable that you know they, they didn't have enough rounds to get drafted. So now players are being signed as free agents. There was a local player uh, signed out of the Prairie Baseball Academy and, and uh, the Parkland Twins minor baseball organization before he went to college at Prairie Baseball. His name is Willie Diaz. Uh, Willie grew up uh, playing for uh, Coach Rob Boyk, who was my bench coach last year with the prospects, and uh, is now at uh, Prairie Baseball Academy with Coach Todd Humpton. And uh, he was just recently signed as a free agent, so that's a pretty cool thing for a local player. Yeah, that is indeed. And uh, uh, just, uh, you know, more good reason why you guys are moving out to the Parkland area because that seems to be um, producing some pretty great baseball players. All right, there was, uh, we all kind of got captivated by the last dance with uh, Michael Jordan, that series that, uh, you know, portrayed on, I think it was on Netflix for 10, yep. 10 uh, episodes. And then last night, there was the Sosa McGuire 30 for 30, the long, I think it's long ball summer, it was called, about the 1998 chase of Roger Maris's record, who I really want to learn more about now about Roger Maris, especially after watching this documentary last night. So you haven't seen it yet. I don't want to give too much away, although you, you remember the gist, but they just interview all these people about it. And the one thing I will say is, um, you know, I was waiting for them to bring up the steroids and I was waiting and I was getting frustrated because I'm like, I'm almost at the end and they haven't even barely mentioned this and you know, they do get into it. I don't want to spoil it. All I will say is I have so much more respect for Mark McGuire than Sammy Sosa. Uh, what, what, what happened with them? What, what, what was this a, a big home run chase or you know, what's this? <laughs> no, you're, yeah, you're right. Uh, um, I, I think back in time, uh, I, I mean, I remember some of those moments pr- fairly vividly. I, I haven't seen it yet, so I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, it'll re-jog my memory, but uh, they used to cut in and out of other sports programming yep. to see the at-bat and, and all that that was. And, Dude, there was uh, five, there would be 5,000 people watching batting practice. Yeah. Oh, it was, <laughs> man, it, 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 Save baseball. Like Cal Ripken happened and then that happened. And they were a couple years apart and that reignited this this underbelly of passion for the game. And and you know, there's lots to take since then, you know, the the scapegoat and, and all the, the steroid talk and the era of the, the idea of the asterisk, you know, all that. But uh, at the time, in the moment I mean, I don't know if there's been anything more captivating uh, that that I can remember in the moment of actually happening, other than you know, like the the, the 2010 Olympic gold medal hockey game, right? Like, uh, one and done. This was like captivating throughout the whole summer. There, they cut in and out of other broadcasts, preempt things, and, and watch this that bad, and they go back to whatever else was going on. So it really, it really brought the country to a standstill when these at bats were happening, which is just a, a, an amazing thing to have happened for baseball and, and considering the the power that brings to your sport, you know, amazing. Right. And, and frankly, 
financially that brought baseball back. And, and we touched on this not that long ago is that baseball organizations and franchises, what they're worth now, mm-hmm. that was, that's a big part of where they're at now. Of course. Yeah. That's and baseball turned a blind eye to it and it's disgusting that they did it. And it's disgusting that the, a lot of the people that vote on the hall of fame ballot were getting, you know, lots of whatever it was back then. I don't know if it was clicks or reads or subscriptions, or they were making money in their papers and whatever it is that they do off of these guys. Yet now they'll sit there and start saying, oh, they don't belong in the hall of fame. Here, here's my thought. And and I thought a lot about this. This is how I think the steroid era should be handled. If you come clean, you should get in. If you, if you have the, the credentials, like Mark McGuire has come clean. He should get in. If you don't come clean, all right, that's fine. You live with that. You know, Pete Rose for years denied that he bet. And then he came clean. Okay. I think if you come clean and you show that you, and, and Mark McGuire has shown that what he did was wrong. And he's talked about that. And he's, and he's, you know, he, you know, I'm not saying the same thing he did as Michael Vick, but what Michael Vick was terrible and he came out and he went and he spoke against it and he got another chance. I think if you do that and you give a Mia call, and you say, I did this, I was wrong. Although baseball didn't do anything about it either. Those guys should get in the hall of fame. Now, if you test positive, it's different. You get suspended back then baseball turned a blind eye because they were too busy counting their damn money. End of sermon. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's it. Yeah. You get the, you get the bill machines collecting like, uh, like you're watching an episode of Scarface. That's how much money they were rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) So anyway, you, you watch it and then I'll be interested to hear kind of your opinion on, um, the players and, and, and baseball itself. But uh, I don't want to give too much, too much more away. So I just want you to go uh, check it out. But it was, I will say you're right. Like Sammy Sosa had that, tw- like, you think he had 20 home runs in June or something like that. And, and they work. So it was fun to watch this program and relive uh, that summer because, you know, I was captivated it uh, just like you. So it was a nice uh, little, uh, I guess, uh, walk down memory lane. And that's where we'll go now with, with history class and, and we start with some pretty big names, some pretty big nuts on this day that were born, uh, Jordan. Dusty Baker, uh, former right. Dodger and obviously a longtime Giant manager and, and now with the Astros. He was born in 1949. Uh, the great Wade Boggs, as mentioned in our uh, song about uh, the gambler, was born in 1958. Andy Pettit was born in 1972. Um, you, you remember those Yankee staffs. How important was Andy Pettit to those staffs? Oh, huge, hugely important, uh, possibly like kind of the, the glue guy. Yeah, yeah and, that's what I thought. Clutch performer and, and, you know, he might've been a number three on those staffs, the one, but, um, in reality, he's as good as the number one, um, on, he had the best lefty pickoff move on top of all his stuff and then performed in the playoffs. Uh, you know, that's huge reason why the Yankees won are, are, are is because Andy Pettit was in that rotation and what he brought to that team. 
Sure. Uh, Tim Lincecum, uh, born on this day in 1984. Uh, they called him the super freak. And a guy that had a super freaky beard do, Mike Fires, born on this day in 1985. Fantasy stud last year for me off the waiver <laughs> wire. I, I, in, our, in our league, I might have the Mike Fires award at the end of the year for the best waiver pickup during the season. I, I, might, I might fight hard for that one. That's a great idea. Isn't the that Mike a good Fires one? Award. Yeah. yeah, I love and, it. And he blew the whistle on the Astros, so even more reason to like this guy. <laughs> Check mark. Check mark. Okay, a uh, guy who made his debut on this day in 1923, the Iron Horse. Lou Gehrig debuted as a pinch yeah. hitter for Wally Pip, a sign of things to come two years later. As on June 1st, 1925, he again entered the game as a pinch hitter and didn't come out of the lineup for 2,130 games. Um, you know, unfortunately, he passed away so early, took himself out of the lineup because the effects of ALS uh, were, were affecting him on the field, took himself out of the lineup. Two years later, he unfortunately passed away after he retired. But, uh, you know, when, you, when your name is synonymous with the disease that took you, it shows the importance of that person. And, and you know, people refer to Lou Gehrig's disease because he was the, the, the face of that disease, unfortunately. Yeah, no, no doubt. Uh, the amount of games he played in a row is, is <laughs> unbelievable. And, and in reality, Lou Gehrig was, you know, as good as, the babe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, his numbers and, and his stature in the game were such that he was that good. Uh, and you know, the fact that he played so many games on top of that, uh, yeah. Uh, what a great player and pretty cool. This state in history. I'm thinking of like the greatest three, four hitter combos of all time. And it has to start with them and maybe ends with them. I'm not sure. Yeah. You're right. Dino, man, you got to face babe and Lou Gehrig. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's funny in uh, the, the, uh, MLB, the show, they have these legend teams and on the, uh, the, the old team that, that these guys, this era, Babe Ruth is actually the starting pitcher of the team. So you get to hit with Babe and pitch with Babe. And then there's all these different guys. So it's, it's kind of cool. But Lou Gehrig, obviously, uh, you know, famous for, for so many, many reasons, uh, other than, uh, baseball, a guy who played his final game. On this day, I couldn't find anybody that we would know, but I couldn't resist this name. In 1891, a guy named Phenomenal Smith played his final game. Uh, his real name was John Francis Gammon. He pitched for the Phillies. He pitched 140 games. He only won 54, so he wasn't so phenomenal after all. Uh, I mean, I wonder who he had to pay off to get that nickname. Yeah. That might have... I might have kept him in the big leagues a little longer. They didn't even look at his numbers. It's uh, oh, phenomenal! He must be good. Let's let's give him another shot. We can't cut a guy named Phenomenal, can we? No, you can't. You can't do that. <laughs> you, you got an automatic job, and then they got wise to to the scam he was running, and and he, you know he didn't last after didn't, one forty. No, no. Okay, on this day in nineteen thirty eight, Johnny Vandermeer pitches a gem under the lights in the first night game in New York City at Ebbets Field. Uh, this the red southpaw. He only throws his second straight no hitter as uh, he beats Brooklyn. He was perfect against the Braves four days later. So back to back no hitters. Uh, that makes it into this day in history, doesn't it? Oh, easily. Uh, and that is the good old days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, this uh, might be even more impressive. Fast forward to 1999. Pitcher Jim Abbott, who was born without a right hand. Uh, and would throw a no-hitter. And we talked to Brent Parker about him recently with the Calgary Cannons. 
He got his first career hit on this day in 1999 with the Brewers, uh, collected his first hit off John Lieber, and it was an RBI single. So that's almost as impressive as a no-hitter is a guy with one hand getting a hit. Not only does he throw a no-hitter, but he can swing the bat as well. Unreal, man. Jim Abbott with something else and getting an RBI. John Lieber was a, was a pretty big time pitcher. Yeah. You know, he's, he's a three, four in a lot of rotations uh, at his peak and Jim Abbott getting an RBI single. I mean, I'm sure Lieber heard about that in the clubhouse. Uh, no, no doubt. All right, let's wrap up with this. Uh, 10 years after that, Matt Dermody. Um, this is a guy that was drafted four times. As we, you just went through the, the draft process. He was drafted four times, lastly by the Jays, where he only pitched for two Major League Baseball seasons. But on this day in 2009, in a high school game, he struck out every batter he faced in a mercy rule shortened six-inning game. Can you imagine he had 18 strikeouts and every guy went up and every guy went down swinging or watching or whatever. Is that not incredible? <laughs> it is incredible. I'm sure there's got to be some context there. I, I doubt that was the, the state championship after the huge play down funnel system with the two best teams left standing. He might have got a, a little bit easier of an assignment with that club. Who cares, man? Every single guy <laughs> didn't even put like contact on the ball in fair territory. Like you, I don't get yeah. like, even though you could go up and pitch against eight year olds, dude, and you still one of them still might no. at least ground out no. to first base. No, I mow down eight year olds, Dino. There's no chance they don't touch my seventy two with runs. Ah, man, listen, (laughs) I am, I am telling you that I think even an eight-year-old, uh, could get a ground ball off you. Ooh, I, I hear challenge. I think we need to put this out. Uh, I mean, I, I, I would love to get on the mound and absolutely mow down eight-year-olds. It'd be like a Will Ferrell comedy. (laughs) So you're telling me there's a chance. All right. We might have to set (laughs) this up. We might have to set this up. Like, dude, the guy struck out 18 straight got batters. At least somebody's yeah. going to, like, dribble one but off the <laughs> bat onto the the third baseline or something. Yeah, we'll, we'll give him some credit for That's sure. That's pretty impressive. All right, let's get into our uh, guest right after we hear a short song from the artist Hats off to Roy Halladay. That's a play on the uh, Led Zeppelin song, Hats off to Roy Harper. This is courtesy of this beautiful artist, The Gambler. Four thousand two hundred fifty-six That's the number of people's yes In the Hall of Fame that guy should be He's got more hits than the great weight balls Rod Carew and the late I call All three Coopers down in Dutties And though he ain't no stand-up guy The baseball numbers do not lie Yeah, well, Pete Rose, he's my man Charlie hustles in a garbage can 
be joined on the show today by umpire Matt Payne. Uh, Matt, thanks very much for uh, joining us on the Prospects Baseball Show. It is great to catch up with you. I've, I've said to Jordan for a while, I want to get and pick the brain of an umpire. So I, I hope you're ready uh, for uh, a wannabe baseball player and a baseball coach to interview you. Uh, perfect. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Said, if it was just if it was just Jordan, I think I would have had a hard time coming on. But with you here, CD, and it made it a little easier. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's start uh, before we get into um, your career and, and umpiring in general. Just want to get your thoughts on the the current Major League Baseball situation, fighting between players and owners. Do you think there will be a season? Yeah, I, I sure hope so. You know, it's uh, obviously with no sports going on, it's uh, it's, it's almost a nightmare a little. But uh, I, I think they will kind of come to an agreement. Obviously, with the baseball, there's a lot of money involved. You guys seen that kind of increase over the years between owners. Players are getting paid more money. TV deals are bigger. Um, a lot of games to be played. So I hope they can kind of iron something out and, and, and get a deal done here in the next geez, It's got to be a week or two now in order to get a season out of it. Yeah, that's uh, they're, they're running out of time. And, and you know, the, the players are saying the owners uh, want less regular season games and more playoffs because the revenue is different. And uh, it's, it's a mess. And, you know, we, we were talking before we kind of got on the air here, you know, the things we miss about baseball right now, but that's at the pro level. There's also a lack of sports at the local level that impacts um, umpires, referees as well, not just players and fans. And, you know, this has obviously had to have a, a pretty big impact on your summer. Crazy. I, I had a couple of things lined up this summer, um, not just umpiring-wise. I was, I, I, I was fortunate enough that last summer I knocked off uh, all 30 MLB baseball stadiums, so went to the New York Mets Stadium wow. at uh, City Field was the last one so over the last i don't know 10 years or so me and a buddy of mine an old umpire buddy from uh, edmonton trevor dury um we've been we've been doing that over the last 10 years and catching some of those games so i was fortunate of that and uh so that got kind of five we we're going to go to carolina for a little minor league trip and then i had that uh the u15 uh, world world cup tournament in mexico get canceled in august so uh or i guess they canceled. They actually got postponed and just recently announced that it was rescheduled for end of October and November. So those types of things for baseball changed. And, and, and you know, you can just see how, um, I don't want to say excited, but how, how how so many people were missing that because now that Alberta and all these other provinces are starting to, you know, loosen up the, uh, the phases or whatever you want to call it. Uh, of coming back, you can just see all the baseball programs just starting, you know, baseball, or baseball Ontario, all these people just, you know, really, as soon as the first day they can get at it, they start with small games or whatever they're doing at training just to, to get right back at it because people just miss it and love it so much. Yeah, great point, Matt. Uh, so you're, you're in Alberta now. You've been umpiring around this area for years, but uh, we're going to touch on where you grew up. You, you, you're from Sydney River, Nova Scotia. Tell us a bit about what that's like growing up in Sydney River, and, and did you play for the mighty Glace Bay Little League program? Well, I, uh, I asked you guys how long we had here because <laughs> I'm a good storyteller. Uh, maybe not all the memories I have, but uh, 
uh, definitely grew up in, in uh, great detail, Sydney River, which is the county, uh, the big big city around there was Sydney, and uh, it's in Nova Scotia. But any any person that grew up in Cape Breton would call themselves a Cape Bretoner, and Nova Scotia kind of comes third. So, uh, you know, I was a Cape Bretoner. Uh, Sydney was a, a steel town way back in the day, uh, one of the third biggest in North America behind Hamilton and Pittsburgh. They had a lot of coal there going on, obviously a lot of fishing, but a lot of coal. That's Glace Bay. Um, and it was a town, Sydney was a town of about 30,000 people, and it's kind of amalgamated a little bit now. But one of the little towns next to Sydney or Sydney River where I grew up was Glace Bay. And uh, obviously anybody that played Little League and uh, would know of the Glace Bay Colonels, um, you could call them a powerhouse, I guess throughout uh, the 80s and 90s and even lately they take on to a lot of little league world series in Williamsport and uh, but uh, yeah they have a special little fuzz about 20 minutes from my house and I never got to play with them they always beat us till kind of we got a little older what we picked was a little more fair but at least after from, from the big towns we've made two teams and they were the believe it or not Glacier was the largest town on record in Canada of 10,000 people. So I think that's changed since they're not, maybe not a town now, but they have this little field, this Cameron bowl, and uh, it's a bowl like, so similar to Okotoks or other places where it's like a berm, people can sit on the berm. So you can get more and more and more people in. And there's a little brook kind of, that it's called Renwick, Renwick Brook or something uh, running through there. So yeah, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of, uh, Really cool Glace Bay. I played out there a little bit when I was a kid. Then uh, I played a little bit of Little League and, and stuff. And uh, just loved the game, kind of just played all positions and uh, Little League. And then kept with the Little League stuff through majors, junior, into some senior stuff. And kind of phased out a little bit. Started playing a little bit of Bantam, which is Baseball Canada, and playing a little. And then kind of just fizzled out a little. I wasn't the, the best baseball player. I mean, I was always there and could play any position, do whatever you needed to, to do, but uh, just loved the game so much. And, and kind of, I guess uh, that's kind of where I, before I moved out to Alberta, so I'm what, 38 now. So I spent the first 19 years of my life, half of my life in Cape Breton and the other half out last year. And got into a little bit of umpiring through the little league. I would, uh, I would, um, just umpire the bases for my buddies' games, and and I wouldn't get paid for it. it was all volunteer for those guys. But I, you get a little honorarium, and my buddy was a, the umpire in chief, and he found out I was doing some of these games, and he just mentioned to me, just uh, just keep track of them, and I'll give you a couple bucks, and about ten bucks a game. So I was about fifteen, sixteen at the time, and yeah, I got into a couple of games, and that's how it all started. So. You're making the big money, and that uh, must have inspired you making ten bucks a game, a game out there, working the <laughs> yeah, under the table. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah well, that, uh, yeah, I didn't have much to buy back then. <laughs> okay, so you, you you get uh, 19 years growing up in Nova Scotia, and then uh, you end up in Alberta. Matt, tell us a little bit about what led you into Alberta, and and how you how you got out here, and and what you're doing. Well, so I, I still wasn't really umpiring that much, that, that much. I had the old uh, balloon pillow umpire oh, protector. You, you, <laughs> so I wasn't, if I showed up, you wouldn't think it, I was a real umpire. But anyways, 
And uh, I started trying to get some like under better equipment and stuff. But I was in high school and just finished high school. My parents actually moved out west, and I kind of followed a year or so after. And uh, it was the old St. Albert Gazette, and I, I lived just up from uh, the Legion Field in, in Oakmont or Oak Ridge, whatever it was called, in, in St. Albert. And my mom or dad found a, an art, a clipping in the back that was calling for umpires before I even moved here. And they're like, oh, okay, here's a whatever. So I said, ah, okay, it's something I can do anyways. And, and obviously make some money at it and whatever. And I lived, I missed the clinic, so I wasn't even registered. And I lived closest to the field there in St. Albert. I did, I want to say, for the next few years, I probably did. 120, and I was working for, for Paul Riopelle. I got into his league, the old North Central Alberta Baseball League, and his tournaments and powwow days and some <laughs> other stuff. Before I kind of got really into the Baseball Canada scene, I, I was doing all those senior tournaments and, you know, Feto Gilaz and, and, you know, Wasetna had a tournament and stuff. And I was probably doing 150 games a, a season, at least in the summer. And I, uh, yeah, so. I spent, uh, anyway, I guess uh, in a nutshell, I uh, spent the first 10 years in Alberta in St. Albert area, and then the last 10 here in Calgary. So You've done some major events and uh, at different levels. Let's start with the Canadian Little League Championship experience. What do you remember from that tournament? Well, I played in one in 1995 in the juniors back, back east, and then... Uh, I did, I was trying to write all these down, but I did, I, uh, I did a tournament in 2013 and that same guy who was, uh, my friend, he's a little older than me. Um, he was actually my baseball coach, not by much, 10 years maybe. And, uh, he, he was the district, uh, know, district attorney, not attorney, but district rep for Little League Canada. And he was, it was, it's kind of his, Swan song going out. He was doing it for 20 years and he invited me back there. And of course my dad still lives there in Shetty camp and, and, uh, and my, I got lots of family and friends there and stuff, but I hadn't been back there at umpire and he invited me back and I took it up, uh, took, took his word for it. And I was actually on my way to, uh, geez, I'm trying to I want to make sure I got this right. Pretty sure that was the, uh, it was, it would have been the seniors in, uh, St. John's in 2013, right afterwards. So I did the little leagues for 10 days, and then I went to St. John's and did the seniors. And uh, but yeah, no, it was so cool there. Um, the, the little league stuff in 2013. I had a roommate um, from Quebec, a young kid, umpire. Uh, we were the only people from out of town. We got treated just like royalty. Um, like I said, a lot of friends and family that came to watch me umpire and. And, uh, but it's, it's all about the kids there, that little league stuff, 12 and under, like some of the stuff they do or say, or any, anything is, is just a riot. And it's so well organized and, you know, there's the games are so, I don't want to say intense, but it's so fun. Like team could be down for kids, 10, nothing. And before you know it, it's 12, 12, 10. And anyways, uh, but yeah, no, it was super special. And, and, uh, Tom Fire was some of my friends and, and older, older mentor guys that uh, were around when I first started umpiring, you know, 20, 20 years before that was, was pretty special. So awesome. 
the, the those that age group, those games, they go they go roller coaster style. So uh, I know what you're saying there. Uh, let's talk some international baseball, Matt. And uh, I wanted to ask you about your first international assignment, being the 18U qualifying tournament in Mexico a few years back. And uh, was that a goal of yours to to get to that level? And uh, before you did your first game at that particular event, did you have nerves and excitement? Were you ready to go or what? I don't know. I could talk. I could tell a story about that tournament, but uh, and you know what? That, that my story wouldn't even compare to some of the other Team Canada stories that they were telling me about some of the issues they have and the hurricanes and weather and stuff, right? Mainly, but uh, uh, yeah. As far as a goal that I set out, I, you know, I was. Uh, I was fortunate that I had a couple of really good tournaments and, and that T12 was just coming around the Blue Jays stuff. And, um, I had a good junior tournament in Dartmouth and, um, you know, it's not always about getting the gold medal game and stuff. And I think once I kind of realized that that's when I became a really good better umpire at the national level was realizing it's not just about you just go out and work, work your game and good things will happen. And, and I've always realized they need an umpire for every game at every position. So in some, some games it's the third base umpire that has the big call, you know? So, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, didn't really set out as a goal, but had a great tournament, got invited to that T12 that first year, which was unbelievable. What if, you know, if anybody's ever been to that, I was fortunate enough to go twice. Um, and, uh, from there, things really kind of snowballed to a point where I got the, uh, the invite to that Copabe uh, World Cup 18U qualifier in, uh, in uh, a place called La Paz, Mexico, just north of Cabo there. It's uh, Mexico similar to Canada where they have provinces. So it's La Paz was the capital of the uh, Baja Sud or Baja South province with Cabo. So it was about two hours there. And uh, I guess, uh, it, it was great. So I got the call and, and, you know, I'm all ready and I got two big bags ready to go. You know, those international tournaments are like a 10 day thing or whatever. They usually start on a Thursday or Friday and go to the following Sunday. And, uh, I'm all packed up and I'm flying to Cabo and they set all this stuff up for you. And it's, uh, American airlines and, uh, in, in Calgary here at a great airport. So, I get my ticket and I'm double checking my ticket eight times. And, you know, there's a, there's a gate check-in date on it. And there's a couple other things and stuff. And anyways, I didn't book this. I, I'm learning my lesson. And uh, so I've got my two big bags packed and I'm ready to go. And I get to the airport and it's American Airlines. So they only got one lift. It's not Air Canada or WestJet. So they got one little ticket booth. And it's the same two people that work there. I would say girls, but it was the same kind of two people that work that booth that work the, um, you know, take your check you in at, at the, the gate. So I showed up there and I, I was awake from, I was so nervous to go. I was awake from about two 30 in the morning. My flight, I, I thought it was at seven fifty five, but you'll find out I was wrong. So I guess I'm waiting around the whole, I finally called car to take me to the airport about five o'clock or not five o'clock, but it must've been five 30. I live, I live, as closest to Okotoks as you can in Calgary down by the new hospital. And I get to the uh, airport. I'm all ready to go, kind of get to the ticket window and there's nobody there. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. I pull out my ticket <laughs> and I'm looking at the, 
whatever. Anyways, I'm going international, learn, learn the lesson. I'm going international. I'm flying a smaller airline, American in Calgary. And I get there and there's nobody there. And they're, they're already, whatever, I guess it's an hour. I don't even remember the exact times, but and I had to phone. I'm just like ready to, you know, almost in tears. Right? <laughs> they start this tournament. Miss my plane because I can't get a hold of the people for the gate. Uh, I got to go all the way back home. My roommate's like, what the hell are you doing home? I'm like, yeah, I missed my flight. So I phoned uh, Corey Davis, who was the supervisor of the uh, country at the time. Baseball Canada umpire supervisor phoned him. Obviously, you know I'm up, I'm, I'm distraught. And uh, the people at Baseball Canada, Corey calms me down a bit. And people at Baseball Canada tells me, "Do you know how many tickets I booked? Do you know how many people miss a flight and stuff?" And I'm like, "Okay." So I get there. Anyways, I'm going to Mexico where they don't speak a lot of English, and the communication for some of these stuff for umpires, like for the whole thing, is very vague a little bit it all comes together beautifully in the end but the org everything and it's not you know i shouldn't say it's not the olympics but you know what i mean it's it's kind of they, they find the location a little late they never announce it too early they do this you know you, you, everything's changing all the time and uh so i'm getting like little spanish email i might have a guy's phone number um i've talked to a couple of my colleagues rob allen and Ron Chuchuk and these guys who've gone to these events and they're just telling me, don't, you know, just show up. We'll get you. So I have no idea. I get to Cabo. It's a hurricane. And it's when I land, it's a hurricane. And I go to this resort and they, uh, the, the, the resort airports, they come, they go. So you're there. It's busy for a half hour. All the planes come in an hour and it gets real quiet. Busy for a bit, gets real quiet. I waited there like I missed my flight, right? So my my times pickup changed. I had no idea who was picking me up. I waited there for a while. Some guy in a jeep picks me up. I waited there for, geez, it felt like ten hours. And uh, the guy picks me up, brings me to this bus station. I'm going in La Paz, two hour bus ride. I, I have no idea what what I'm in for. Just pouring rain. Guy doesn't speak any English. He says, "No bus. You stay here." And I'm looking at this hotel and in the town of Cabo, not the resort town. And I'm looking at it. I'm just like, oh, God, if I got to stay here. Um, and it's just pouring rain. I get on this bus from, like, the 1970s, and I'm the only person on this bus. And uh, it's got the drapes and stuff, and it's just pouring rain. And I said, like, I got a two-hour drive. If I'm going to, like, I'm, I'm going to sit in the front seat here to make sure I can see what the heck's going on. And we pick up a few more people on the way. We go through the mountains. It's a two-hour drive. I watched the bus driver bless himself about 15 times. And we finally get to, to the bus station in La Paz. They still don't know where I'm staying. Still don't know who I'm supposed to talk to or anything. And uh, at this point, I just leave my stuff at the bus station, pay a girl five bucks to watch it. I go grab a beer. It's like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. Tournament starts the next day. And I uh, kind of just because I'm a day late. And then finally, I get to my nice little re resort or the marina, it was called. And that tournament was just fantastic. It was uh, U18, you know, a team dropped out, Venezuela. So the schedule changed, you know, right on the last minute. I had a roommate from uh, a fellow, uh, Harry from Philadelphia. Uh, there was only five people that were umpires. There was what, I don't know, 16, 18, 20 umpires. Five of us were non-local as a non-Mexican. And I was, so that was the start of my tournament. And, uh, 
I didn't know this about the international stuff, but I just ended up working the, the Mexican game, uh, the Mexico game every night because the Mexican umpires couldn't work it. So I just had to work my game at 8.30 every night. And that was it. I had the day off. Uh, it was, you know, hot and humid. So I'd sleep. Those games, those international games went long too. They were like four and a half, five hour, nine inning games, like just long and humid and hot. And so I did the Mexican team every night. I did two plate jobs, I think, for uh, um, one was Guatemala and another one was Ecuador. And uh, and the only game I had off was uh, when Mexico played Canada because they don't like to, uh, they like to keep some of the, you know what I mean, keep the politics out of it. So um, it was really good. The nerves, I was uh, a little nervous. Um I think the biggest thing was just the humidity and the conditioning, like four and a half hours in, in 30 degree weather um, is not easy. And, and you got a lot of, uh, even if the game was 23 to nothing or whatever the score was, um, you know, every pitch at Matt means something to someone. So you got to be sharp and on your toes at all times. So once, once I kind of got there and got settled in and, and kind of seeing what it was like, I was just, you know, Really, really, really happy to be part of that tournament. And, and that international tournament was, I know it was only a little of, uh, I was actually lined up to go this year to that youth world one. It was a Copabe one. It might not be as big, but for those local people, it was pretty big. For all those kids that were there, it was pretty big. For us umpires, it was, it was big and a lot of fun. So let's go a little closer to and, home uh wcbl and, uh talk about the experience yeah. of uh, of that league and and being around those athletes those uh the wcbls are is changed over the last couple of years it's always one of the things i really like it always feels good to be part of a league and uh i've worked the wcbl or wmbl um ever since kind of around 2003 or four um from my Edmonton days and then now the last 10 here in, in, in Calgary, which is Okotoks. And I do travel to Brooks and, and Lethbridge a tiny bit, Medhack. Um, but uh, they, that league is, is, is great. I mean, uh, I'm very fortunate to work in Okotoks and I don't want to take anything away from a lot of the other venues because I really think that they do a bang up job to Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, even Brooks. Uh, uh, on a good night on their stadium, they do a good little job too. So, uh, but Okotoks, I mean, is the creme de la creme and, uh, to be fortunate enough to go out there and, and work in that league. And if not, I'm out there usually watching my buddies work in that league, um, is, is pretty special. Uh, that league's changed over the last few years. Um, when I first started, I don't have that much experience in Alberta, but when I first started, it was still, you still had the guys from the mill working in, a um, playing in the league from Saskatchewan and um, uh, and now it's it's based uh, there are some educational requirements or something for eligibility I guess but uh, uh, it's really good it's really good you know what a lot of people uh, they, they come up to Canada they have a lot of fun uh, people they're getting billeted in any little town they're, I'm speaking on the players but I should probably be speaking to the umpires but um, you know it's uh, it's quite the summer experience and, and there's nothing better than be, being involved in a league and being, you know, included in, uh, in other things like, you know, as umpires, we do reports. We, uh, I'm a senior umpire in that league. So I get to kind of 
sit on sit in on some calls and, and discussions and um, you know kind of mentor the younger guys that that, that without any pro ball in, in Alberta that kind of is one of the, the leagues that a lot of umpires uh, they want to work you know as you get to kind of grow and get better so we, we bring a lot of those guys on it's good to work three man majority of those games are three man umpires um, yeah it's, it's, it's good it's, it's really good and uh, mm-hmm. I was going to say an Okotoks on a Canada day like I mean obviously if you guys have been Okotoks Jordan has for sure but on any night is a good night but you do a Canada Day game or a Father's Day game or a Sunday afternoon game and you got 4,500 people there and the crowd's buzzing and you know the, the, the Scolumbo's Smokies or, or sausages are, are, are steaming up everywhere and um, it's quite enjoyable. So Matt, uh, we, we got to clear this up right now. Is it, is it true that a catcher can say anything to you and have that discussion while he's not facing you? And, and you guys can kind of go through a process together and, and uh, maybe nothing's off limits in that scenario. Yeah, I think, I think he can't here. He can say anything. I mean, obviously he can't say anything, but I think that's the professional way to do it sometimes is, is uh, you got to kind of make it discreet. And same with the umpire talking to the catcher a little bit too. Uh, sometimes that happens when I turn around to clean the plate or, um, you know, when, when the play is gone and nobody's, the spotlight's not on us. That's, that's the time to kind of maybe just have a quick chat about something. But usually if, if the catcher's not happy, the, uh, the way he's not going to get an answer is to turn around and ask a question. So, how about the uh, the excitement level of the game and, you know, how you stay even keel? I'm not sure if you've ever worked a no-hitter or a perfect game, but knowing that one call can have such a big impact, uh, does it take a, a, a special personality to be able to be an umpire that way? Well, I think the easiest way to, to get out of that sometimes is to make sure that it's not on the umpire to, to make that tough call or, you know, punch a guy out. But, you know, the, uh, the big thing is that as an umpire is we're, 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 we're taught to be fair and, uh, I'm not too, too worried about, uh, you know, upsetting anybody about a call or, or anything at the end of the day. I, uh, it, I might get nervous at the start, uh, but once the first pitch kind of gets thrown, it's just another game. And, and for the most part, it's just another game anyways, but, uh, you know, through perfect games or bigger games, um, you kind of you kind of get them engulfed by the game, or kind of just you know you don't hear those people yelling from the crowd, or you don't hear those people. Uh, you might hear some chirping from the dugout and stuff if you're closer to the field, but you know you don't. You're kind of tuned in, you're sharp, you're focused. You you don't want to miss a pitch. You know the pitcher's got the ball and the rubber. If you're on the bases, you know you got to have your eyes. You know go going all the time right um so you know basically we're out there to, to work so we get uh you, you're working a game and, and uh, we get into a situation where uh maybe an argument ensues uh and sometimes those can get heated but i want to go a little bit to the lighter side and, and uh ask you if a player or manager ever said something to you in an argument that, that actually stopped you and just made you laugh yeah, I, uh, 
I, I mean, I got a couple stories, but uh, the one here that's a good one was I was uh, doing a, a men's league game here a few years ago, and it was a double. They play in, uh, on this time, and they, anyways, they have double headers on Saturday and Sunday, nine and noon, and then two other teams come three and six. So I had the nine and noon game, and I was just work going to work third base for both games. We're doing a three man with two other guys that were getting ready to go to their first nationals, which is three men. So I was out there to kind of help kind of just encourage them along and coach them. And, uh, I don't know if I could, I can name names here because, uh, you probably, his name was Troy Cleveland, Jordy Cleveland's brother. And, uh, it was the Longhorns and, and you know, they're kind of a, uh, standing senior team and a lot of history and stuff. And it was 9am and they're, they're older guys. And, uh, Double header and half the guys are, you know, still sleeping on the bench, hungover, whatever. And it's early, and there's a check swing, and uh, I can't remember if the guy went all the way around or not, but I think he did. And uh, played umpire said he didn't go. And of course, I'm working third base. It's a right-handed batter, and our mechanic is to go to the open wing. So they go down to first, and it's the other guy, and he, he must. The umpire said he didn't go either. And of course, they all want to come to me, and we don't do that, right? And, and nor would I ever overrule. You know what I mean? You, you don't. There's certain sticks you just don't pick up. And, uh, and all I hear is uh, somebody out of the dugout and said, uh, "Why don't you get that?" And this is nine, nine fifteen in the morning, whatever. And uh, I just, you know, I, I I don't have a short finger or trigger. Usually, I try to diffuse the situation at times, but sometimes you just got to kind of. You just got to go. I turned and just, I, I thought to myself, double header, nine something in the morning with two green guys. I was like, I'm not putting up with this all day. And I just turned around and uh, sorry, the guy said, why don't you get the guy a large double, double to wake the heck up? <laughs> and I just turned chocolate. And I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, uh, for a second and I just said I can't uh, I can't put up with this all day I'm not going to let these guys kind of you know run our backs all day and I just threw them out and they're like who what and it was it was I remember it was uh, Cleveland and uh, I said yeah he's got to go and they're like who and I and I went to the bench and I, I knew who said it but I wasn't just going to go grab the guy and I because uh, it was a little sniper fire from the dugout but I grabbed the guy that was still sleeping on the bench and he had his hat over his eyes. I said, that guy right there, he's got to go. And he said, but he can't go. He's our pitcher for the next game. I said, that's fine. He can go right now and come back and pitch the next game. And, uh, yeah, the one time I, I always remember that one, get that guy a large double, double <laughs> to wake up. And you can know, you know, you know, the other word, wake the heck up. Yeah. Know? Yeah, no doubt. Um, well, let's wrap up with this. Um, in playing Pepper, we talked about some players that you like to watch. Maybe maybe tell us about some umpires when you do watch that you do like to, to maybe learn a little bit from and, and the differences between umpires today and, and past days. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I kind of mentioned, I'm a big baseball guy and I don't really have a favorite team or a favorite player. And even when I'm watching the game, I might be watching a little bit, but usually you, you, your eyes kind of tend to go to the umpires and watch the rotations and where they're positioning and what they're doing. Um, I mentioned that Stu Sherwater is a big guy for us Canadian umpires. Um, big league contract. That's huge. 
there's a few other younger guys that are coming up that um, you know might have might or might not have a chance. That's that's one of the differences of the uh, games or the game this nowadays is that those umpires. Uh, I don't want to say that they there's a little more turnover and um, for now with the minor leagues and, and other things, there's a lot of baseball and they have to replay. So they have different crews and they have, uh, you know, back in the day, once you had that job, you had to keep it right. You had that job till you were pretty much like either you quit or you were dead. And, uh, but now with the replay and holidays and injuries. So, you know, you can think of the old days, people used to umpire probably through those injuries. So, that's changed big time. Um, one of the things I always look for when I'm watching umpires is, uh, is, is mainly the field guys. You can watch the plate guy, but, um, when you're watching the games is the field guys and their starting positions and the position they put themselves in to start the play so that they're not surprised and, you know, get blocked out so they can see the play, I guess, or the adjustment that they make sometimes on a play, so that they can get a good look and, you know, and, and cause you don't want to be moving all the time when you're an umpire cause you need your eyes to, to see obviously. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, one of the philosophy or uh, what we kind of uh, metaphors we use a little bit is kind of comparing it to taking a picture with the camera. Like you kind of want it still so you can focus it. Right. So same thing with the umpire. And if, if there's a, if something happens and the, a ball takes a play this way or catcher blocks a plate or, you know, um, and you, you want to have the best view so that you can see if a tag was made or if you dropped the ball. And, and sometimes, um, that's, sometimes that happens, but that's what I'm looking for with those, those umpires. And, and I like to watch the younger guys too, like the minor league guys and the, and I don't want to say bad habits and stuff, but those guys are the guys doing all the good habits, right? I mean, they're, they're working hard every pitch, every play, hustling, 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 hustling. And, uh, because you never know when somebody's watching. And like I said, you never know, you never know which pitch, every pitch matters, but you never know which one you take off. that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, it's a, it's a really good point. You always, you always have to be aware, especially in, in the game of baseball, and uh, uh, particularly uh, key situations. Matt, this has been a lot of fun. It's been uh, a nice look inside uh, the, the mind of what the umpire sees and goes through. And, uh, you know, I'd like to do it again sometime. Best of luck whenever you do get back on the field, and we'll chat again. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, thanks again for having me, and, and all the best this summer. Thanks, Matty. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. Fun conversation with umpire Matt Payne. You can hear his uh, playing pepper segment uh, in a few days as well at prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And uh, I, I love the question about the, the catcher and, you know, whether you're you're facing the catcher or you're, like if the catcher turns around and says something, because you know they they actually talk about that on MLB the Show, and I always wondered if that was a myth that as long as it doesn't look like you're showing up the umpire or the catcher, you can have a conversation, and and you know you might you might be able to get away with some stuff. Yeah, I think that there, that's cool. That there there's the ability to have a relationship that's unknown to everyone, right? And one of the cool things about the sport, and then. You know, the catcher comes into the dugout and, and the manager's saying, you know, 
what did he say about that? What's going on back there? Where was that pitch? He's like, hey, coach, he only said this, he said that. Um, you get you get a three way conversation going through your catcher sometimes, and you can give him some information to relay to the umpire when he heads back out to play defense. That's interesting. So so Jake Gary would come back, and and you would say, hey, did he say anything about this or that? Or he'd maybe come up to you and say, by the way, this is what he said, and you guys would kind of converse. It's 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 kind of a way for you to talk to the ump with the, almost like a mediator. Yeah, for sure, and and you hope that your catcher's done a good job of <laughs> set, setting the table. You know, like we could joke about like buttering up the umpire, but as Matt described, they're professional, so it's just having the, what it really is is having a relationship. Whether whether it's good, it's a it's a working relationship at worst, at minimum, and perhaps it's a good relationship that there's a little bit of trust involved uh, between your catcher and the umpire. And yeah, you definitely can kind of have some conversations or you can relay some of what your emotions about what's happened through your capture and, and you know, let the umpire know without creating a scene, as they say. Yeah. You know, it's, it kind of reminds me of like, if you've ever dealt with the translator and like, I used to do a lot of interviews with athletes who didn't speak English. So they would have a translator, you know, European, Asian, Russian, whatever. It's like, if you've ever asked, you're like, hi, how are you? And then the translator goes on for like 30 seconds. You're like, I, there's no way I said that much. You, you hope that the translator, in this case, your catcher is, is good at translating. That's just kind of what it reminded me of. It's like when yeah. Tommy Lasorda inter, introduced uh, Fernando and um, Fernando was looking at him saying like, I said a lot more than what you just said there, Tommy. So I always kind of <laughs> chuckle at that. All right, let's get into our top five power hitters of the 90s. You're going to watch the uh, long ball summer, Sosa McGuire. And then, um, you know, it wasn't until in 2000, in the 2000s that Barry Bonds uh, got his done. Oh, actually, I, I just want to ask you about Barry Bonds. How many more home runs do you think he would have hit if people didn't pitch around him so much? Oh, man. I like, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Like, he leads the entire Major League Baseball in walks and home runs. Yeah, he had 212 walks that yeah. summer. Uh, uh, who knows, man? Like, he was he was on such a level that he, he wouldn't. And just because he, there were at bats, he only saw one pitch. Right. And he hit it out. Yeah. He, he was on such a different planet as far as being locked in and, and hitting the mistake when he got it. Dude, uh, there's, there's 15 to 20 more home runs there if, if they were challenging him, if mm -hmm. not more. Maybe, yeah. Like it's an amazing a, number to think of, right? We know, you know, part of the reason of why he hit so many home runs because he was using steroids, but also he was just zoned in. And um, I just, I was just thinking about that, the amount of walks. But anyway, let's get to your top five power hitters of the 90s. Start at five, lay it on us. All right. Uh, you know, I'm going with, with my favorite guys. It's, it's my list. It's not just based on the amount of home runs. Right. Uh, so, so number five, I'll go with uh, Raphael Palmero. Oh. I love the sweet swing. Uh, there's and the name Rafi Palmero. You know, hitting the middle of the lineup in Texas and Baltimore, and, and you know, basically just was as consistent as they came. And, and uh, on top of that, he's a lefty, 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 so he picked the ball at first base and a big time defender. So Rafi Palmero, my number five. I'll go uh, Barry Bonds of the '90s in my number four spot. Uh, Barry was always one of my favorites. Uh, his time in Pittsburgh, and then when he went to the Giants, um, just the way he hit home runs, he, he kind of had that 
swagger about him early on in his career, and, and he brought that, and, and you'll see that in the game today, and, and you know, hitting a ball and then strutting out of the box. So Barry Bonds is in that list for me. Uh, number three, I'll go uh, Frank Thomas, the big hurt. <laughs> you know, this guy is the definition of a monster in the game of baseball. Uh, absolutely the largest largest human being ever to be playing baseball. He was, he was massive, crushed baseball. Nickname of Big Hurt made total sense. I had a pair of Big Hurt Reebok cleats when I was 13, and I was tiny, but I was Big Hurt back then. It was awesome. Uh, number two. Well, and sorry, Thomas was clean, too. Clean player, yeah. He had like 560-plus home runs somewhere in that realm. It was uh, And never, he, he, never painted in the uh, steroid brush. Yeah, no doubt he was. He, he's been outside of that uh, grouping of players. Number two, I'm going with uh, the kid, Tim Griffey Jr. Um, that sweet swing from the left side and, and like video game numbers before we even knew what video game numbers were, you know. And, and the dude has his own baseball video game, Tim Griffey Jr. Baseball. That game was awesome to play. So good. Uh, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr., not, that's all it needs to be. He came in the game at, at the age of 19 and like basically dominated the 1990s. So he's my number two. And then probably my, my favorite guy, man, Mo Vaughn. <laughs> I absolutely love Mo Vaughn. You know, his body type and he's got this hunched over look. I don't know how he did it all. I don't know. It, it was tilted upside <laughs> down on the side. Oh. And then... When he when he connected with baseball, they were annihilated. He hit this ball in uh, it might have actually been in the two thousands, but the ball he hit in, in Shea Stadium back in the day, there was like three quarters up the way the scoreboard. Uh, and and Mo Vaughn, just a just a menacing looking hitter in the box, and uh, so he's my number one. He's my favorite home run hitter of back in the day. Dino, where are you at? What's your top five? Uh, well, just before that, like Mo Vaughn, uh, it's like, did you ever see Charles Barkley swing a golf club? <laughs> it, it, it would be like if Charles Barkley nutted it like 290 down the pipe. Like <laughs> I, I always wonder like, how does he hit those home runs? So it was, I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, uh, before I give my lift, Joe Hutzel on Twitter at Joe Hutzel say, I'll go with Bonds, Griffey, Thomas, uh, Bell and Walker. So Albert Bell and Larry Walker. Runner-ups are Edgar Martinez and the crime dog, uh, Fred McGriff. So for me, uh, number five is Mark McGuire. And um, I was I was hesitant to put him on this list because of everything, but I really do appreciate him coming clean. So he's number five. He got me excited. Uh, you know, he, even back in 88 and, and 89, uh, when he was with the Bash Brothers with Jose Canseco. Uh, so get just, pre, you know, pre-90s, he excited me. And then, uh, you know, had some up and down years. And, and then we know why some of them were up. But anyway, Mark McGuire, um, such a such a great uh, compact swing too, right? Like you talk about, we just talked oh. about a move on swing. You look at Mark McGuire's swing, like it's so fast. Yeah, he was just meant to hit home runs, like yeah. you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, number four for me is uh, Mike Piazza, uh, probably the greatest hitting catcher of all time. Definitely the you know the 
you know, the catcher of the 90s. You know, people complained about his arm, and, you know, that's why Pudge Rodriguez is 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 ahead of him on a lot of lists because, you know, Pudge threw out almost everybody. But Mike Piazza, this guy just tore the cover off the ball uh, and, and hit the most home runs as a catcher. So I'm going with Mike Piazza, number four. Uh, number three, I'm going with a kid, and, and I don't really need to expand on that, although he, he just kind of looked like the coolest baseball player ever. I mean, he made turtlenecks look cool uh and and whatever <laughs> mock turtlenecks and stuff like that and and he, i even liked him the look of griffey in a reds uniform you know like i just i, I liked the look of ken griffey jr as a baby like it's the guy i'm like okay i want to be i want to look like that guy i want to strut like that guy i want to dress like that guy so that was number uh two uh three rather uh, frank thomas is my number two so i had those uh, reverse from you but like a lot of what you said i love that he was clean and just a uh, mammoth. Like, I don't know, unless you're like Nolan Ryan or Randy Johnson, wouldn't every pitcher be intimidated facing Frank Thomas? Like, the the guy, it's like, okay, throw it here is going to crush it. I'm going to throw it here. Oh, breaking ball, it's out. Like, it didn't matter. The guy just feasted on things. So I loved watching him uh, hit. And my number one power hitter of the 90s, Big Daddy, Cecil Fielder. Yeah. The wild bear, as they called him when he played in uh, Japan, I believe it was. And I watched him actually <laughs> hit a home run at Blue Bomber Stadium. Bef- you know, uh, when he was a Blue Jay, they had this touring of rookies and he was hitting bombs out of there. It wasn't hard. It wasn't a baseball stadium. It was a football stadium. But, uh, you know, then he goes to Japan and comes back and, uh, you know, and then his kids. So Cecil was... Uh, uh, my number one. He didn't. He didn't have the most home runs um, in the '90s. I think he only had like 250 of whatever his home runs. But uh, he started the '90s leading. Uh, I think with like 50 some home runs. So I'm going with Big Daddy Cecil Fielder as my number one. So uh, hit us up with your top five list at Prospects Pod on Twitter or at EDM Prospects. Are you ready for baseball Thunderdome? We're in it. Let's do it. My man. Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. Two men enter, one man leaves. All right, all right, all right. Prediction? Yes, prediction. Pain. Holy shnikes. It's party time. P-A-R-T. Why? Because I gotta. All right. Baseball Thunderdome is simple. Two players enter, one player leaves. Jordan decides who he would take on his team. And I'm going to let a little audio explain who the two choices are. Ready? Ready. The 0-1 pitch. One on a drive to left field. McGuire has hit a three-run homer, and the Cardinals win again. There's Sammy Sosa way back. McGuire, if he should hit a home run today, he would equal the National League record for consecutive games having homered to start a season. Willie Mays is the only player to have ever done so, homering in each of the first four games to start the 71 season. He doesn't need to do that now. He's already hit a homer in this series. He's got 14 consecutive series. He launches one to deep center field, way back there, and gone. Oh, my goodness. That one didn't have a chance to stay in the facility, folks. 
for the changeup. Sosa's second bomb in as many at-bats. Four to two Cubs. All right. Sosa or McGuire? Okay. So we break this down. Now, one of the, the coolest baseball moments, I think, that, that happened was uh, when Sammy Sosa went sprinting out of the dugout at Wrigley with the American flag. Um, that moment for me was, was powerful and, and huge and appropriate. And, and I just love Sammy Sosa for that. However, I wasn't a big Sammy Sosa fan. Um, I felt like a lot of home runs he hit uh, were, were up 5 nothing, up 10 nothing, And I'd love to do the research. I haven't done the research on that. But it just always felt like he was hitting bombs maybe when it wasn't the most required. Um, now getting to McGuire, I was an Oakland A's fan growing up. I did like the Expos, the A's. The Bash Brothers were kind of the first thing that uh, piqued my interest about Major League Baseball outside of the Montreal Expos. Uh, you know, 89, you know, I'm nine years old. It's kind of, I'm becoming more aware of what's going on and, and the Bash Brothers. And then you, you remember those uh, uh, sticker books that you'd have? Well, on the cover of that, Jose Canseco, but it was kind of Bash Brothers. And, um, you know, McGuire being the guy that hit 49 bombs as a, as a rookie. You know, that was right in my wheelhouse. I was aware of that. So when it comes down to it, McGuire versus Sosa, for me, I go Mark McGuire. All right. that's a It's a good choice. I don't uh, really think that you're going to be disappointed with either of these guys in the middle of your order. Um, uh, but, yeah, like I said, I would take McGuire, too, based on watching that. I, I lost a lot of respect for Sammy Sosa because of – uh, what he didn't do, and and I gained a lot of respect for Mark McGuire because of what he did do in regards to that era. All right, that's going to wrap it up, dude. Uh, Matt Payne was a lot of fun to chat with today about umpiring. I hope that he doesn't hold this against you the next time he's umpiring a game of yours. What do you think of him as an umpire? Uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Matt. That's why I reached out to get him on the show. I, I love how he handles the game. Um, you know, for the most part, we're, we're fine with balls and strikes. I don't know if you'd ever get a coach saying he, he thinks the umpire was perfect. And, <laughs> and I don't think you'd get an umpire say, right. saying that he was perfect on a day either. But um, I, I like his strike zone. He's consistent. Uh, he does a good job of managing the game within the game that, that uh, is part of the deal when you're an umpire. And, and uh, yeah, he's fun to deal with. I've had lots of chats in game with Matt. Uh, you know, questioning things, asking them questions about certain plays. And um, like I said, I've got a lot of respect for Matt, and it was uh, it was a pleasure to have him on, uh, kind of representing the umpire faction uh, in the sport of baseball. Yeah, it was a it was a fun conversation about playing Pepper in a few days. Hope you enjoyed this show. If you did, please subscribe and leave us a review. Uh, really helps us to move forward in the correct way. And if you'd like to be a part of the show as a guest or as an advertiser. Hit us up uh, through email at prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com. Thanks as always, Jordan. Have a great week. We'll talk to you uh, when I come back from my camping. If I come back, maybe I'll just love camping so much I'll stay out in the woods. I don't know. That, that is the question here, Dino. Have a great trip, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Just one more thing to say. Ban the shift. It's gone!
It's a grand slam! And that's the ball game.